I came to terms with my limitations sooner than other dancers, maybe. And oh, interesting. Okay. I maybe understood that there was more to dance than the capacity of your body. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Talk About the Industry. Today's guest is one of the loveliest human beings I've ever met, a man named Jonathan Fredrickson. Jonathan Fredrickson was born in Corpus Christi, Texas. He attended California Institute of the Arts, where he received his BFA in dance performance and choreography. Jonathan danced with the Limon Dance Company from 2006 to 2011 and created two works on the company during his time there, The Edge of Some World and Chrysalis. In 2010, he was a winner of Hubbard Street's National Choreographic Competition and was also honored as one of Dance Magazine's 25 to Watch. He then danced with Hubbard Street Dance Chicago from 2011 to 2015, where he was commissioned to create two new works on the company, Untitled Landscape and For the Wandered. His work has been shown in festivals such as the Hong Kong Dance Festival, Reverb Dance Festival, and White Wave. And he is created for programs like California Institute of the Arts, Cal State Fullerton, Limon Institute, and Sundance Canadian Contemporary Dance Theater. He joined the Tanz Theater Wuppertal, Pina Bausch, in 2015, where he has been performing her work internationally and creating for the company's choreographic platform, Underground, with the works Epilogue and Afternoon Forest Birds. Please welcome Jonathan Fredrickson. Wow, thank you. Hey, buddy. It's such an honor. <laughs> it's great to have you on. Thanks uh, for having me. Of course. You are, I think, one of my more impressive dancer-choreographer friends. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know so many people. <laughs> well, we both do. I'd love, to, uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about just kind of like the nugget of the industry that you're in now. Um, I mean, we know each other, obviously, from Hubbard Street. Uh, I got to light both of, uh, I guess, all three of the pieces that you choreographed on Hubbard Street, now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was so fun. I wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, you're very kind. Um, so currently you're with, uh, and, and I probably said that wrong, T uh, Tanz Theater Wuppertal, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, Pina Bausch's company, very famous dance company. Uh, what's the current situation there? Well, it's uh, a lot like the rest of the world. Um, mm -hmm. It's a bit up in the air in terms of how do we continue on and which way do we continue? Um, right. How do we rehearse? How do we perform? Who gets to see in which capacity and which in which uh, space? Uh, we begin actually next week. Uh, wow. Yeah. We begin next week back with our new season. Okay. And then basically there's a plan A, which looked mm -hmm. a lot like how the season was planned um, last year. Sure, sure. And then there's a plan B and a plan C. And mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's very common uh, in dance, uh, certainly in production, but I think also in, uh, uh, I've seen it from yourself and other choreographers where you're like, if this doesn't work, there's something else we can do, but like, we should try and make plan A work first. Yeah. Yeah. We got to be flexible, not only yeah. with the bodies, but also with our expectations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like the way you put that. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, uh, let's talk about how you became you. I'm really interested growing up in Corpus Christi, Texas, South <laughs> Texas. Right. Uh, how did you get interested in dance? How did you get started? 
That's a good question. I feel it's really cliche to be like, uh, it just came to me and I was born to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but if it's true. <laughs> but in a lot of ways, there's something that really gravitated to me for me to do it. Yeah. Um, so basically the story goes, my, my mom is, a, or at least was a high school um, teacher. Okay. And it would take me often to the pep rallies. Okay. And since, since a baby, um, we would go and the drums would start playing and yeah. I would get really excited. Yeah. And then my eyes would immediately go to the cheerleaders on the side dancing. Okay. And I was just really obsessed with watching the cheerleaders move. And yeah. that turned into the dance teams that we have in Texas, the drill teams. I don't know if it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's huge in Texas, right? Yeah. yeah. So, again, we would go to football games because my mom was a high school teacher. Right. I didn't watch the football game at all. I only watched the drill team from on the other side of the, of the field. Yeah, where, yeah. Where they had these different formations and different arm gestures they would do. Pom-poms go up and I would just see the different colors move. Immediately after coming home from the football game, I would dance in the living room, pretending to be one of the drill team uh, members. Wow. And uh, I take my mom's backgammon and um, open it up, take the chips out, and then put yeah. the chips in different formations. And they would be, <laughs> my, they would be my little dancers. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's amazing! <laughs> so I was I was obsessed with that, with yeah, with dance and formations and drill team and. I would also often dance around the living room, yeah, move my body in whatever way I felt was comfortable or happy to do. Yeah. And I went to an elementary um, art school. Okay. And first grade I did art and I did theater and then mm -hmm. I learned guitar. Like every year you can change your elective. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't until my fourth grade that my mom was like, what about dance? Maybe you should try that out. Yeah. And I was a bit skeptic and I was like, oh, I don't know. Because I think already by the time you're nine years old, you get this kind of weird thing of what boys do, what girls do. Yeah, and, yeah. you do, don't you? Even though I was prancing around my living room with <laughs> dish towels, pretending I'm a cheerleader. <laughs> you're still like, boys don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it was one thing to do it in your kitchen and next thing to do it at school. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so. I thought about it and I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And my mom put me into ballet folklorico, folklorico okay. which is um, Mexican traditional dance. With the, oh, interesting. With the big dresses and the big things in their hair and yeah, yeah. all the, the kind of footwork uh, dance. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Um, I guess I was really quick uh, to pick it up as well. Um, yeah. I don't remember struggling. Like, I just remember being happy. Yeah. So I did that for fourth and fifth grade. In fifth grade, I put myself into jazz and tap, and I was hooked. Yeah. Since then, since this, from discovering dance, I wanted to create dance. So every step I learned, I went back home, back mm -hmm. to my living room, incorporated that new step, and then elaborated that step with something else. How funny. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so it really was in your bones, so to speak. Yeah. And I, I guess I shouldn't go without saying that art in general was in my bones. Um, yeah. Because music was very much part of my life and theater as well. Perform, Let's say performing arts was always part of my DNA. 
Yeah, that's wonderful. And and I think wonderful for your mother, whom you have a, a very a great relationship with. In retrospect, kind of obvious, like maybe you should try dance, Jonathan. <laughs> yes. Oh, it was very, yeah. Who knows why? Maybe she got tired of me, like bumping into her while she's trying to do something in the house. <laughs> no, but she was super supportive. That's great. I, it makes a difference. It really does. Because it's not an easy career path. Uh, it's really not. No. So you uh, so you had all of this great um, uh, exposure to it as a kid. And you're in a, a, a public school that has uh, access to a really great arts program, right. which makes a difference, by the way. <laughs> uh, and then you ended up at CalArts. Uh, how did you get there? And what was your time there like? Yeah, my so my training before college wasn't so formal. It was through the public school system. It wasn't until I was 16 that I joined a ballet studio. And wow, uh, 16. That, yeah. That's late, right? Am it I- is late in terms of like establishing t- some type of technique. Right, right. Um, before CalArts, I was really just doing pa- uh, like passion dance, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like learning uh, the jazz square and step touch and doing musicals and stuff like that, but never really understanding dance technique until much later. Mm-hmm. So I auditioned to many schools. CalArts accepted me, and I mm-hmm. it was it wasn't until I went to CalArts that I realized how not so how behind I was <laughs> in terms oh, of wow. my dance technique and training. I think I had a bit of a natural finesse, like an understanding of my body Mm -hmm. in a a qualitative way. Yeah, okay. But not so much of like knowing how to put my body in certain positions. That's so interesting. Yeah. And that's something that I really had to come to terms with in my own body because I wasn't blessed with um, flexible hips. I couldn't get my legs anywhere. I wasn't a very good turner. I was so, so jumper. Yeah. So I didn't have these, these things that. They're almost like quantitative aspects of it. Exactly. I came to terms with my limitations sooner than other dancers, maybe. Oh, interesting. Okay. I maybe understood that there was more to dance than the capacity of your body. Well, that's the artistry part is how I think of it, you know. Totally. And Kalitz was amazing because it was the first time that I was in a space uh, with other artists and they were mm-hmm. all artists and I felt like I found my people. I didn't have that before. Oh, wow. That must have been huge for you. Yeah, it was It was great. It was, um, yeah, I found my people. Yeah. And Kalarshans are, are, are a specific kind of people, I have to <laughs> Kalarshans, I like how you say that. <laughs> yeah, we call ourselves Kalarshans. <laughs> yeah, Kalars was pivotal in a lot of ways because the whole premise and root of Kalars is that it's uh, a collaborative space. Mm-hmm. It's all one building and the it is encouraged that uh, people from different disciplines work with each other at some point. That's great. And so it was there that I got to work with different types of people or not different types of people, different types of artists in, in yeah. an interdiscipl- interdisciplinary way. I, this is where I learned how to really collaborate with other artists. Yeah, that's great. I, and so important. Yeah. And part of what makes you such an excellent choreographer 
to me, like that's the best kind of collaboration is, is, you know, somebody brings something to the table and, and they see it in a way that you didn't, right. then the neurons start firing and it ends up going someplace you didn't expect it to go, but a better place or a more interesting place. Exactly. Yeah. So it sounds like you really learned that and, uh, you know, got a, a master class in technique is the wrong way to put it, but my technique was, was, um, refined there. Yeah. I got a lot of attention in terms of the teachers mm-hmm. in a way that I was like, are they are picking on me? <laughs> 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 but, um, the time at CalArts, uh, was extremely significant for my trajectory as an artist. Yeah. So then when you came into Hubbard street, you were this like star at Limon, or at least it felt like it to me. <laughs> Taryn, Taryn, uh, the lovely Taryn Kashuk Russell, who was the artistic director of Hubbard street two at the time. Uh, uh, when you came in, she was like, she was like, I'm very excited about Jonathan because he's doing some really interesting things at Limon. Uh, and he's a phenomenal dancer. So, oh, uh, right. That's cool. I was like, Oh, okay. This Limon guy is coming and I've got to really, you know, <laughs> I thought you'd be a little more like, I need this, I need that. And it was like the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, what do you think about the music? <laughs> I had no clue that these things were being said about me. <laughs> no, all good things. So you, but, uh, but I'm interested because you spent a significant time period at Limon. And also that seems to be kind of where the choreographic door started to open up. Yeah. Well, going back to CalArts, I, the choreographic door was open there. Um, oh, okay, sure. That was where I got a lot of opportunities to create. Um, yeah. Because it's part of the um, curriculum that mm-hmm. you get a, P, a BFA in choreography or performance and choreography. Um, oh, yeah, sure. So, yeah, every student is required to, to create a solo and create a group piece. I created like 10 times more than that. (laughs) 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 And and they gave me that opportunity. I was actually, uh, I was one of the only um, BFA students to create um, their own um, full evening on my senior year. It was my independent project uh, they allowed me to do. Wow. That's incredible. No, it was really nice. So it was there that actually I wanted to not perform at all and just go Mm. to having my own dance company. Wow. And I had uh, friends and uh, who wanted to, to join my company and yeah. to kind of make that happen. And then we did this Misa Brevis project, um, mm-hmm. the Lamont piece. Okay. And um, Misa Brevis is a piece where the, there needs to be more dancers on stage than there are in the company. So uh-huh. it was the first year, I believe, that mm-hmm. they were that the Lamont company was doing this kind of uh, national tour where okay. they would take dancers from that region um, and have them as supplementary dancers. Mm. And they they were performing at the Amundsen Theater in Los Angeles, and right. they invited six or seven of us uh, dancers from CalArts to dance with them. Wow! And it was. That it was then that I got my introductory to Lamone. Wow, that's great. And I was a bit prejudiced before because I was like experimental cat arts dancer, wanting to have yeah. a dance company, modern dance, mm-hmm. so modern, it's so in the past. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, why would I do that? And then mm-hmm. I then I do the work of uh, Lamone. I do Misa Brevis, and I'm like, oh, I get it. 
I understand why that this is still relevant. I understand why mm. people still do it. I am interested now. So like every college student, when mm. senior year, you're freaking out about what is the real world going to be like. I need a right. job. I need to make money. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked the director while this was happening, while we were in performance, um, if they mm-hmm. had any auditions and um, would that be a possibility for me in some way to yeah. audition? Um, and she's like, okay, we we'll think about it. She actually came back to LA a few months later to watch mm-hmm. a piece that I did in, in CalArts and also me perform. And um, wow. Then from there she hired me, so I actually had a job with Lamon before I graduated. So I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> <laughs> I I was super lucky. Uh, yeah. To yeah. Not, to not have to go into the abyss, into the wide ocean of nothingness, uh, and search for a job like uh, most dancers have to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was extremely fortunate, and I knew that I was fortunate to yeah. to have a job. Uh, in place that's wonderful mm. so so now you're uh you've had this incredibly pivotal time in cal arts uh you've joined limon uh, uh basically straight out of school which uh is incredible uh so how did your time at that company uh inform your work as a dancer and also your work as a choreographer it was probably the most enriching experience for me um mm. in a lot of ways it was great research to feel and understand works that are much older or, um, than they are than today. So you kind of get a, a history, uh, of where dance has been. Yeah. And because Lamone's work, I think is so timeless. You get to feel and understand why that work is timeless. Like why, oh, wow. why this piece is still relevant today. Yeah. It had to do a lot with stories or, um, concepts that humans go through still mm. there's this big word that Lamone likes to use is the human condition and it yeah Lamone speaks on the human condition okay. and, and that is something that is naturally timeless because as we evolve as technology evolves as the years go we are basically the same <laughs> we have our same struggles we have the same pain yeah you know um, same joy and so yeah. Lamone really went to the root of that and his work comes from that place and that has um in a lot of ways um influenced me as a choreographer or as yeah. as someone who's building concepts to or, or at least uh jumping points of why to create or what am i saying or what is it that i want to express yeah i feel my work does come from a similar place of human condition with and, 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 but, uh, yeah. that interests me. People interest me. Yeah. And with my performance, you, I really discovered about intention. Um, mm-hmm. because with everything that you do in Lamone, you can't do anything without first having the in- intention. Mm. So it has to start inside before it becomes external that's so interesting correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like uh in ballet in the more traditional techniques it's it's quite the opposite you learn the movement and then intention comes out of the movement depending on the choreographer i think yeah depending on the school as well let's say there's a lot of emphasis on the form Mm -hmm. and 
Then you have your prima uh, ballerina absuta, whatever the you know the grand the grand ballerinas. Yeah. Um, you have those stars, maybe understand a bit more than the form, and they're providing something else. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it's true. With Lamon, there there is a there is a consciousness of form, like you have to understand it. Mm-hmm. But there is this, let's say at the same level, there needs to be a type of um, intention behind it and movement quality that's married to it. That makes sense. Garrett, uh, Garrett Anderson and I were talking about Matzek and uh, I think his work involves a lot of uh, a lot of intention as well, which is why it really resonates with with me. Garrett's observation was he thought that was uh, huge because my background is in theater more than it is in dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why it might resonate with me. And I like many things Garrett says, sometimes I was like, oh, that's really smart. <laughs> yeah. Garrett's a smart cookie. Yeah, he okay. is. I was like, maybe that is true. Yeah. Talk to me about my personal emotional state, <laughs> you know? So, uh, uh, so that's really interesting. You know, working at Hubbard Street was uh, re- is really what opened my eyes to all the different techniques. Yeah. And they didn't necessarily do a lot of modern work. So when you came into the company, I saw definitely that you had a completely different approach to movement and uh for me that's how you know you're one of the dancers in my brain where i was like oh that's what a modern background gets you yeah yeah sure so uh you were able to choreograph in the company there as well yes i had the okay first off i when i was hired uh-huh. i immediately told uh, carla maxwell the director then um that i'm interested in uh choreography i'm interested in being a choreographer and okay. if she would look at my work, I mean, she had seen my work at CalArts yeah. and I told her that it would be a dream of mine to create something on the Lamon company. Wow. Yeah. That's ballsy. I know. Little 22 <laughs> year old, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have to give credit to this uh, PBS special I saw in New York City Ballet. And it was oh, yeah. um, Christopher Wilden was uh, speaking in this interview. And he did exactly that. He Oh, interesting. He I'm going to get it wrong because this is m- me remembering when I was 16. But yeah. he basically went into the company and told the director then that this is what he wants to do and this is what he plans to do. And so wow. I, I took that to heart and I did it myself. <laughs> <laughs> you really did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, yeah, so... I was creating some a work of my own on the side uh, okay. because Lamon works half of the year. There's a lot of times that we're unemployed, and um, so I took yeah. that opportunity to create uh, my own work. And I was I was able to preview a, a sample of it for a small festival, and um, Carla saw it, and mm. she said, "Why don't you finish the piece on the company?" Wow! Yeah. So I finished that piece, Edge of Some World, on the company, and that piece uh-huh. was premiered the next season in Beijing, China. Wow. With live music, no doubt. Wow. No, no less, I should say. Yeah. Uh, no doubt either. Wow. <laughs> just like star trajectory. <laughs> well, yeah, it was just, it felt very, uh, I was, I don't know, I was humbled by it. I was very yeah. honored. Um, of course. It was not what I was planning or um, intending, uh, but it was yeah. gifted in a way. And it was very special. I love how you put that, that it was gifted. I think that um, 
often uh, if you expect that it should happen for you or that you deserve for it to happen to you, it won't Mm. because that thought is about yourself and, you know, sort of uh, selfish in in a small way. Mm -hmm. But I feel myself saying this every podcast. So like everyone has a superpower, (laughs) which like wasn't it wasn't the theme. But I feel like your superpower is getting people on board with your project through empathy. Cool. You have, I, I think, such a high emotional intelligence. Immediately when I first worked with you, I was like, he's really nice and he cares about my input, which means that, like, I have to do something really special for this guy, <laughs> you know? And I think that's, I don't think I'm the only person that has that reaction. That sounds super manipulative. no no i mean i guess i guess my point is like you you know i think a lot of people outside the dance world in particular but outside any sort of uh artistic endeavor will think of a director or a choreographer as someone who's like who's like five six seven eight no jared you're wrong and like really you know like chairs throwing and (laughs) yeah there are people that work like that, I'm sure. But like for you, it feels like it was just such the opposite that you, you know, even the way you speak about it, it was gifted to me. So what I see as an outside observer is like this wonderful balance of you having a clear idea of what you want, but also feeling gratitude when it comes into your path. And I, to me, I feel like that uh, inevitably will yield a better result. Yeah, we can't forget where we come from in a way like, yeah. that, that there is no, there's no certainty to anything mm. and that every day is a gift basically. But yeah, I think it's important to give credits where it's due and yeah. to honor those that provide to open doors for you, who yeah. lead the way for you, whether they are actual people or people that you look up to. Yeah. No man is an island, as they say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's lovely. So uh, so you're given this wonderful gift, uh, two gifts, not just being able to dance in Limon, uh, but also to uh, to choreograph on them. Yeah. Did that, that moment in your life, did you think, oh, maybe there's a chance that I might actually do this, you know, the way that I want? Yeah, I, I saw a lot of support. I saw mm-hmm. a lot of support from my colleagues and from my director, as well as from the audience. And um, great. So I felt that that dream wasn't out of place or delusional. I felt yeah. it was actual possibility. Um, like every day, it's always the how. You know, you see a glimpse yeah. of something, but you never know how that will unfold until it actually does. Yeah. I was very blessed in Lamone to create two new works and I never took them for granted. Yeah. Like after I made my first piece, I hoped that there was another opportunity. Um, yeah, of course. But I don't think I ever, I would never hold it against them if they chose not to. Sure. And I was fortunate that they asked me to do one again with the composer who created wow. uh, live music again for this piece. And um, well, obviously they saw something in you, uh, yeah. and so did Taryn and, uh, and the Hubbard street choreographic competition, yeah. which of course leads us to my 
uh, one of my favorite parts of the interview, which is how we know each other. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, was was it 2011? Yeah. Is it that early? Well, I did the lunacy of on HS2 this 2010. Yeah, that sounds right. So 2010, you come in, you do Luna C, which immediately I was like, what? A, oh, that title. Yeah, a little <laughs> fun, a little play on words. That's oh, great. <laughs> it's great. I That was fun for me, too, because uh, we had a wonderful dancer in Hubbard Street 2, Eduardo, mm. uh, and he got to do the drowning solo and like he was so good. Yeah, he was great. He was amazing. Uh, at the time, Hubbard Street Two, uh, Hubbard Street had a national choreographic competition, and they would bring in uh, a, a two or three choreographers every year, and they would create a work on the second company. Yeah. Uh, and so you did Lunacy in 2010, and I got to light it, and we took it on tour uh, with the company, and you know it was really well received. You've told me this before, but I've, I've forgotten. You came in to choreograph, and you weren't uh, you weren't necessarily there to audition for the main company but it seems like maybe glenn had his eye on you yeah i had no intention to audition i didn't yeah. think i was good enough to audition for the for hubbard street in chicago wow <laughs> that's so backwards <laughs> i i was happy to be there as a choreographer for the, yeah. the national choreographic competition it was like a mm -hmm. competition that i was uh, I had applied to before, maybe even twice before I got it. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was like a dream of mine to, to get it. Cause I saw the, the, the names that came through there and where they, where, where they led to, you know? So I knew it was like yeah. some type of, uh, springboard. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so there was an audition during my time there during my mm -hmm. residency, uh, during the process. And I had no intention of, uh, auditioning. I wasn't really looking to leave Lamone at that point. Yeah. I was happy in New York, so I wasn't yeah. really looking for a change in that way. Yeah. Um, but I was peer pressured <laughs> <myself> <laughs> by the dancers of HS2 and then some dancers yeah. in the main company because I would take class every once in a while with them. Sure. And I was like, okay, I'll do it as a workshop because uh, Hubbard Street's repertoire was always something that I was interested in. I Yeah. Okay. And in college, I had a book and I had my mm -hmm. companies. I wrote down uh, Homer Ballet when uh, Matzek was there. Okay. And um, uh, Ballet Frankfurt with uh, Bill Forsyth. Oh, sure. And then Hubbard Street, then Chicago. Wow. So I was like, okay, here's the opportunity to audition for your dream company. Sure. And to just see what that rep feels like. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did it. I it wasn't nervous because I wasn't trying, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. You didn't need a job. You had a job. Yeah. And I was like, you know, they know me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they didn't know me at all. I was only there for a week and a half, but I, was, I already felt comfortable with the people there. Yeah, sure. So I didn't feel like a complete stranger. Well, that says a lot about, um, about your personality. But it also says a lot about the the type of person that Glenn wanted in the room with that company, mm. you know, and Taryn, too, by the way, I was continually impressed by both of them, not just with dancers, but choreographers. They would, uh, you know, they would bring highly talented people in, but also they would bring in people that like fit inside that room. And well, I never really understood how important that was. You didn't know it at the time, but like. 
your personality and I could tell immediately was like totally in line with the kind of person that they want in that studio kind of person that they want, you know, to have a positive effect on the dancers they're dancing with on the dancers they are choreographing on, right. you know, and to me, it's like, yeah, it's a no brainer. Of course we want Jonathan in this building. Yeah. That's a very good point actually. And I think that's a very, a very, a uh, special point in terms of what made Hubbard Street and also Lamone very yeah. um, special because the directors at their times were choosing dancers that worked well together in their family, in a sense. Yeah. That not only do they have to do X, Y, and Z that the repertory calls for, but yeah. how they would fit in as individuals with the group. It's important. Yeah, it is important. If I'm Glenn and I see that you've been in the building for a week and a half and my second company is ecstatic with you. My main company dancers uh, see that you're an incredible dancer, but also they like, you know, you're a wonderful human as well. Then there's going to be an immeasurable positive effect on the artists of my company. And like, of course, I'm going to ask you to audition. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I don't know if that's what he thought, but <laughs> <laughs> how did that conversation go? Well, Glenn is like, so what are you doing here? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, cause I, I, I didn't. And I also explained to him that the the tone of why I, I audition is a bit different because it's not that I needed that job, but sure. I'm very interested in the job. So of course, yeah. if he offered it to me, I would be very ecstatic. Yeah. Um, the conversation became about how does that fit in with me and uh, being a, a choreographer because he knows me first as a choreographer, and you know, yeah. and there's this thing of commitment and or mm -hmm. you know the that balance. And I told him then and there, like I told Carla, that I am a choreographer and I would love to make another piece on Hubbard Street on the main company. And I hope I can do that. But wow. Um, <laughs> Ballsy once again. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I mean, I don't I I would be curious to hear myself of how I said it. But um, yeah, of course, I, I assured him that my commitment as a dancer in, in Hubbard Street would be 100 percent. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, he took some took some time to think about it. And then a few months later, he asked me to move to Chicago. Wow. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. And here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we, there we were, at least. So you spent uh, I, how many years? Four or five years at Hubbard Street, right? Four and a half years, yep. So then, uh, so four and a half years at Hubbard Street, uh, you danced uh, Ohad uh, work, you did Matzek work, uh, you did Forsyth. Yeah, I did all the things that I was dreaming to do, really. Yeah. I was so excited to do Forsyth's work mm -hmm. and so extremely nervous. Yeah. And that much more um nervous and excited to do Mats at work because Mats actually came and auditioned us to do a piece that I had idolized on DVD or even VHS. <laughs> I think it was DVD. I'm not gonna it was yeah, on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on DVD uh in college. Right. L'apartement. Yes, exactly. So good. Um, 
and then to do the this uh, door duet was was actually oh. quite um, surreal, even to me now. It's incredible. Mm. I think of all of the dancer friends that I have in my life. I always think of a role that they've done as like you know, kind of like a pinnacle role. When I think of Terry Marling, uh, I think of the him doing the duet in uh, Tabula Rasa with mm. Meredith Dinkelo on his last performance. Uh, when I think of Garrett and Pablo, I think of the two of them doing the Matzek duet from Kazi Casa. Yeah. Uh, and when I think of you, I think of you and Jacqueline doing the door duet uh, from Kazi Casa. And like I that piece in general was just incredible. Uh, mm. but every moment in that i thought like oh my god i'm seeing something from these people i love that i've never seen before and and then we got to film that door duet with hms media right and i just like it was so precious to me it's got to look perfect and you know and we had this little special that kind of hit the door from a slight angle and i was like it has to be in exactly the right spot right it's just like I was already impressed with you as a dancer. And I remember seeing that duet and being like, holy shit. Emotions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of my training and more of my experience in Lamon helped me. Uh, yeah. It's extremely special to perform that with Jacqueline. Yeah. I had a, a really great time with her. She was so patient with me as well. Because yeah. that duet's not easy. <laughs> and there's yeah. some... Um, some awkward lifts and some awkward moments that yes. we to work on over and over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and over and over. Jacqueline, also an incredible dancer. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. yeah. I really felt her open up a lot in that um, role as well. Yeah. Like, new, we discovered new layers together and that was very special. That's wonderful. Um, so you did all of this incredible work at Hubbard Street in four and a half years. And then, as if that wasn't enough, suddenly you're dancing in Pina Bausch's company. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What was that transition like? Oh, it was also not planned. And, <laughs> and not, I, it was coming to a time in Hubbard Street that I was like, okay, my body is not, is really tired. And because yeah. Hubbard Street's a, schedule is really demanding yeah it's a tough schedule and i am not one of those dancers who are blessed with like the longevity uh <laughs> that just can keep going and going and going at such a high intensity level like my body can't do that yeah so i was like okay i think i need to not retire from stage but take it uh take a step back mm -hmm. and really work on my own work i wanted to freelance and be an independent choreographer and yeah because that that's also a kind of you have to start from the beginning and then become something so I was yeah like, of course i want to start that now then mm -hmm. i got this phone call from a former colleague of mine in lamone who recommended me to lutz forster the director mm -hmm. then at um Pina Bausch, wow to do a private audition in new york wow yeah and so it was the, again this other Thing that I didn't ask for, and I felt that it would be bad karma to just shove it aside. <laughs> yeah. Because even though Tanzir Vupertal wasn't in my um, college notebook that I wrote down, right. it, was also, it, was a, it was a company that I've uh, always admired. And yeah. 
thought that I would never have the possibility to even audition for. Yeah. Because I knew, well, A, Pina Bausch has already, had already passed. Mm. And so when she passed in 2009, I for sure said, I don't think this will happen. Yeah. And even still, it seemed like the dancers that you were hiring were European or the dancers that came from her school, the Fokwan Tanshu. Sure, yeah, yeah. Anyways, this opportunity came. I felt like I couldn't pass it. Um, I was upfront with Glenn about it because it was during a work day and I felt it wasn't... Of course, I could have called in sick and just not shown up to work that day, but I felt I'm traveling all the way to New York. I want to have an open conversation with him about it yeah he was very generous um Mm -hmm. in allowing me to go that's uh, one of the special things about glenn is that he really wants to see his dancers um fulfill their dreams as people as he respects everyone as their individual selves as artists so he didn't hold me back um even though I'm sure he wasn't happy that I was going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, I think he was a bit disappointed because he was like, oh no, you're going to, you're going to get the job. <laughs> <laughs> Which says so much about Glenn is like, he, you know, it's not like, oh, go ahead. Cause you're, you're probably not going to get it. And I want to seem generous. Yeah. His, and his immediate thought is like, Jonathan's amazing and he's going to get this job and he's going to leave me, yeah. but I have to let him do it because otherwise yeah. You know, I, I'll, I'll be a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. So I did this audition. They invited me to a, a real audition in the spring. I couldn't go. And then yeah. I asked for a private audition. They said, mm-hmm. no, I asked them again. They said, no, I asked them one more time. And they said, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh, I went to, uh, Germany, um, mm-hmm. for a four day private audition wow. and it was the week after their their big audition and yeah. it was basically the big audition solo like it was just me so i learned <laughs> many things from the rep and all the, the three different solo or sections of solos mm-hmm. the theater stuff and mm-hmm. and it was just me doing it over and over again because they would say okay great now try again and then yeah it's just me doing it. There's no other groups to exchange with. And <laughs> no time to rest. Yeah. And about 15 dancers watching me, like the senior dancers. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Watching me. And I was like, okay, if I can survive this audition, I can survive <laughs> the company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so funny. It's something, you know, I think those of us that don't perform just like we might understand it but we don't really get it when i uh was transitioning into being the lighting director at hubbard street you know they didn't sit me down in front of like the entire production staff and be like all right focus that light right. you know yeah. that was great now focus this other light but try it again differently you know you know yeah exactly can you imagine <laughs> so uh yeah that that sounds incredibly um it was almost like a nightmare, like a stress dream. <laughs> wow. <laughs> At the same time, they were all very generous and loving. Um, of course. I never felt like I was a wasting their time or that I, they were giving me any type of negative energy to me. Yeah. It was, an ext- it was a sharing. It was a get to know you, but on a very extreme 
maybe uh, dis, uh, disapp- disproportionate way. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, uh, also, like, you know, you kept asking for a private audition, so you can't get there and be like, well, why are you doing this to me? It's like, okay, you're <laughs> I'm getting what I asked for. Totally. And that was the other thing. Like, if, if you ask for it, then you better be willing to do it. Yeah. And then if you get off of the job, you better be willing to accept it. Yeah. But that goes to say that when they did offer me, offer me the job that afternoon, I asked mm-hmm. to have a week to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you again, ballsy. <laughs> I felt it was important that um, I told them or told Lutz at the time that, of course, I would say yes immediately right now. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure I wanted to go back home and yeah. sit with it to know that this is actually what I want to do because moving your entire life to Wuppertal, Germany is, is not, it's not nothing. So yeah, it's a big deal. So, okay. Uh, that sort of brings us up to date with your, uh, with your career as a dancer and a little bit as a choreographer. I'd like to dive in more to the choreographic process. Um, uh, now you've, choreographed uh it well basically on every company you've been in you choreographed for limon you choreographed for hubbard street and you've choreographed for uh tons theater vupertal as well yes (laughs) kind of promiscuous in that way (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny (laughs) so it's i mean it's so interesting to hear you talk about I met you as a choreographer, not as a dancer, but I had no idea that it was sort of in your bones from such an early age and something that you were so cognizantly uh, saying to yourself and to others, you know, this is part of what I want to do. Yeah. Um, did you ever, were you ever questioned uh, as far as your commitment as a dancer? Did anyone ever say, well, if you want to be a choreographer, then why should I hire you as a dancer? Uh, I think almost at every single place I auditioned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, I think the that was definitely one of the questions that they asked. Like, what does that mean? What is your commitment to being a dancer? Mm-hmm. And I have a commitment to being a dancer. Um, yeah. Just like period, point blank. Yeah. So that is only, of course, seen in action. Yeah. Um, I'm a type of person that um, doesn't enjoy making a promise to someone and going back on it. Yeah. I really hold myself accountable. So if I tell someone I'm going to do something, I will do it. Yeah. Yeah. As being hired as a dancer, I made this promise to you. I will uphold it. I tend to be very fair. I look at everything from both sides. Yeah. So even when it came to certain opportunities that, that come up, even to this day, I don't take on those um, opportunities because I know they would conflict with me as a performer, mm. which has been not easy by any means. Yeah, of course. Well, I think anyone that ever saw A Thousand Pieces by Alejandro Cerruto at Hubbard Street could never question your commitment as a dancer because (laughs) we you were suspended from a wire and flew in from the first catwalk at the harris theater to then sit 20 feet off the ground and deliver 
a monologue. Yeah, like a five-minute monologue. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the the most bizarre part of that is like that was, you know, while that was happening, the reason that happened at that specific time is because we had to bring in the curtain and like dump a bunch of water on stage and get a bunch of fog machines set up yeah. for the next act. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome (laughs) oh man nobody can question your commitment as a a dancer after that in my point of view (laughs) yeah that's really special i don't yeah i don't i don't have like a fear of heights but at the same time there it's not that wasn't nothing yeah we'll be right back after this message from our sponsors Hi there. If you're one of the potentially tens of people that listen to this podcast, then you already know that cueing this cheesy bossa nova music means it's time for a brief commercial break. Aw, man. I don't want a commercial right now. Just listen to how much money we spent on that sweet, sweet background music. Well, that's kind of a weird thing to say. It must have been at least $42.17 plus tax. Why is he being so specific about it? Surely you must be saying to yourselves, this Matt Miller guy is a real professional. Actually, I was thinking I might make a sandwich, maybe some ham, or... And my, what an outstanding voice he has. He does kind of sound like that Arby's guy. I could listen to his Malef Lewis baritone for hours on end. You know, Arby's, we have the meats. Ooh, I really want a sandwich right now. But did you know that Matt Miller is also a real-life professional lighting designer with almost two decades of experience in the industry? And that he offers one-on-one training in Vectorwork Spotlight? I thought he was just on that podcast. Vectorwork Spotlight is the leading CAD software program in the arts and entertainment industry and a crucial part of any lighting designer's workflow. Oh, I see what he's doing here. So, whether you're a student just starting out your Vectorworks journey or a seasoned professional looking to sharpen your drafting skills, why not consider reaching out to book a training session with Matt today? If you can manage making it through one of his podcasts without wanting to Vincent Van Gogh yourself, then chances are you might actually enjoy learning from Matt in a real-life scenario. What does Vincent Van Gogh yourself mean? Believe it or not, after 15-plus years of drafting with Vectorworks, Matt pretty much mostly knows what he's doing. Oh, God. I just Googled it, and it says Vincent Van Gogh cut off his own ear. Details can be found at www.mmiller-lighting.com. Or feel free to reach out to Matt directly at m.miller.lighting at gmail.com. Really? We're not going to talk about Vincent Van Gogh? We're just going to let that go by with no discussion? And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please use those thumbs to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast directory of your choice. You're sick, buddy. You know that? You are really sick. And now, let's use this smooth bossa nova music to play us back to our show. So anyway, um, let's change gears a little bit here. I want to talk, I want to spend a little time talking about your choreographic process. How do you make sort of something out of nothing? And I also want to talk a little bit about my experience with you as a collaborator. But let's start with just the, I mean, it's such a cliche question, but like, how do you come up with your choreographic ideas, Jonathan? (laughs) (laughs) 
So I go to my crystal ball and I <laughs> have my tarot cards. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> it's all it's always different. Every piece is different. Yeah. Inspiration is such a tricky thing. Totally. And it comes it comes to you when I mean, I can't say exactly least expected because you're you're hoping that some inspiration comes, like you want to create something. So yeah. you're searching for it, but it reveals itself in an organic way. Yeah. And sometimes that's through music, um, mm-hmm. searching through music. A lot of pieces I made, including Untitled Landscape, which you helped design, was yeah. the concept came from the music itself. I enjoyed the accumulation of the, um, of the fugue uh, in mm-hmm. the music and wanted to elaborate that through the structure of the piece in the dance. So that, that was my guide for the piece, um, yeah. how the piece would evolve, what would happen. Mm-hmm. So like one dancer started and dancers continue to come on stage as the music yeah. bigger. Yeah. I had the image of circles and then came this idea of uh, mandala. And other times the inspiration comes from a specific story. Uh, mm-hmm. I like to also recreate stories. There's a, some pieces that I made from biblical stories, also just made up stories. Yeah. My process now is shifting a little bit because of my influence mm-hmm. with uh, Pina Bausch's work. Yeah, of course. She created her work through questions, as the dancers would call them, and how she would call them. But basically, they were proposals. They were like words or hints. Mm. And she would ask the dancers to respond to them through movement or something, let's call it theatrical. Yeah. And I haven't gone so far into that process where I just create a list and then ask the, ask the dancers to bring something to me and I create it together. Mm-hmm. But it has informed me in my own process of like coming up with certain concepts and then digging deep into those concepts and finding something that speaks to it, whether it's through movement or through a scene. Yeah. So. That process has been exciting for me in a lot of ways because it's it's not just it's like two levels in, yeah, and I think creates a lot of abstraction and mystery mm-hmm. with what can be created. I like that. Yeah, because you're not just seeing it as what it is, but you're seeing it from another um, perspective. Yeah, to me, that's the sweet spot of really good choreography the really good stuff like Matzek, like your work has intention that is, you know, it's, it's only so defined because you can't use language that you can write down and quantify, you know, you're using choreography as a language. It's kind of, it's almost nebulous what you're saying, but if there's really good intention the way you described it resonates with me a lot. There's, there's what's happening. And then like, what does that make me feel? Right. Exactly. I'm not surprised that dancing in Pina Bausch's company has, uh, influenced you and given you a slight change in your process to, you know, to me, that seemed that's growth. Yeah, totally. And it's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to come here. Yeah. I even explained to them when, because I had an interview with all 25 of them, basically. <laughs> oh, my God. And I explained to them that it is a research uh, period for me. Yeah. Like, kind of like going grocery shopping. Um, yeah. In the sense of, like, I've 
no penis work is magic. Yeah. And me as a creator, I want to understand why that is, why that is so. Yeah. And what better way to understand it than to feel it and to be inside it. Yeah. So I have discovered a lot and I have discovered that some things are not magic, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> or, you Those know, are also good lessons to learn. <laughs> yeah, totally. The, yeah. Like some parts, even in penis work that are like, I mm -hmm. don't like that. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, I also enjoy movement creation and movement research. And I did that a lot at Hubbard street. And I was, I was proud of my process of creating movement. Yeah. I feel like that has changed a bit today where I sometimes I get super frustrated because I'm like, Jonathan, you had it inside you. Why can't you <laughs> come up with any dance moves now? Um, <laughs> but I just think that because I'm tapping into another layer, that's not just so much about the, what cool moves to do, but like where it's coming from. Yeah. That uh, really makes me reflect and stop and think, what is it that I want to say? Yeah. Especially how do I want to say it? Yeah, that's important. That's really important. Yeah. I see uh, an attentiveness in your work, also an attentiveness to your collaborators that I think is just always an environment that's very natural in terms of coming up with really inspiring work. I remember uh, when you were choreographing Untitled Landscape and I like came up to the studio and saw a run through for the first time. I think you had just finished. You just got to the point where you could run through the piece, uh -huh. sort of soup to nuts, as it were. I remember seeing it and I don't remember what I said to you. I remember saying to you something to the effect of like, this is really incredible. And you were like, oh, thanks. <laughs> And then and then I went downstairs into my office and I closed the door and I like laid under my desk for a solid like minute and a half. And I was like, I'm going to fuck this up. I remember you telling me this. Yeah. Yeah. You did not. You enhanced it. You made it better. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. It's so I think it's so rare. I would say more so for lighting designers it's really rare to work on something that like speaks to you on a visceral level mm. mostly because we like our industry is just like it's everywhere and a lot of it is not artistic you know mm -hmm. but even then i felt really i felt really lucky to have to sort of like have been given this gift mm. you gave me a really wonderful gift with that piece i had to like dig into myself to come up with something that met the level of quality that you were delivering with that yep. uh, upstairs and uh it really it made me a better designer that just that one project you found something super cool it was very special very beautiful it was wonderful it was wonderful to work with you um and i i remember it fondly and i and i bring that up mostly because i love talking about it but also because i uh, I think it's important to highlight that part of what makes you a great artist is that you understand true collaboration. I have to have collaboration. I, yeah. It's a must for me. Yeah. It's a must for me to speak with another artist and for them to give me their ideas, to, to hear their feedback, to bring another uh, something else to the table. Um, yeah. I would feel completely lost if I had just yes, yes, sir, 
people around me that would be like, yeah. okay, whatever you want. I may have an idea about something and sure. um, I could be like completely uh, obsessed with that idea and just want to do that. Mm-hmm. But it would never stop me from hearing someone else's point of view to see how that image or that idea can change. Yeah. Because it could potentially be better. And I'm especially happy to work with brilliant artists who give something really remarkable and um, wonderful to the, to the project, which you do, yeah. which you have. You're very kind. Yeah. Uh, I sincerely hope that we are able to work together again at some point in the future, really. I would love that. I will often, I have worked with choreographers or directors or other artists who like, they come in, they want to see the stage a particular way and that's what they want. And you're sort of just executing what's inside their head and they will have it no other way. Early in my career, I used to get frustrated at that. But as I matured, I thought that must be really lonely. (laughs) You know? Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that that maturity only came from working with people like you or people like Robin, where like, you know, we had come up with something that we could not have come up with without each other. Right. I want to switch gears here a little bit. Um, You are uh, you are a gay man. You are a a person of color, a black man. uh, And I. I want to provide some space and some time for you to speak about that. I don't know much about Corpus Christi, but I can't imagine that growing up anywhere as uh, as a young gay boy and as a person of color is easy. Did you ever feel that you went into the arts because you were maybe outside the the normal white Protestant demographic or... Would you have gone in anyway? Well, that's a very good question. I never, I would have to say yes in a way. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe a reason why I'm an artist is because of my high identity or I am this shell of Jonathan. So my mother is of Swedish descent and my dad is African-American. So I'm biracial, Mm -hmm. which has always put me in a very interesting place. Yeah. One that's filled with lots of struggle and a lot of um, not feeling that I belong to either uh, community. Mm -hmm. One that at the same time brings a lot of freedom. I can essentially create my own community. It's something that I discovered really young um, Mm -hmm. is that I enjoyed my mystery. I enjoyed my racial ambiguity. Yeah. Um, often growing up in South Texas, I would often be misidentified, um, I guess you would say, as a yeah. Mexican American. Yeah. Or as a, someone from Latin America. So there's some, there was a time in my life that I, instead of uh, completely going into the suffering of not being, not belonging to, my black community or to my white community completely Mm -hmm. um, really enjoying that. I was something, someone that you had to look twice at or not understand right away. Yeah. And that for me is very much art. Um, You look at art and you see something and you see it again as something else. And you, you're curious of it. There's mystery behind it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I became very proud to be biracial. That's wonderful. Yeah. I'm also, <laughs> whether one believes in this or not, I'm a Gemini. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, also this kind of duality or complexity that comes with that type of personality. Yeah. Um, it's like a yes, but also, and not. <laughs> <laughs> like there's this thing of like, not for me, at least this is where I identify as being a Gemini. So I hate being put in a box. Yeah. So I relish in the fact that you can't, you really yeah. can't put me in a box at the same time when, uh, the different events, um, recent events that happened, uh, specifically with black lives matter, George Floyd, police brutality, and the conversation about race, uh, mm-hmm. especially the racism, the systemic racism, towards black people. Yeah. I feel very attached to it because I have, um, have had those experiences of racism. Yeah. And I also realize my privilege of being biracial, of being brown skin rather than uh, darker or a lighter brown skin rather than a darker brown skin. Yeah. And I realize my privilege of being biracial, having a white mother and, mm-hmm. and, and, and. So yeah. it was very hard on me recently. Um, mm-hmm especially being in Germany, being so far away from home and having everything happened in the U S and then knowing that here in Germany, there is a lot of uh, systemic racism, but it's not the same conversation until I went to a black lives matter protest in Dusseldorf and realized how many people were, there were 50,000 people there. Wow. Support for black lives matter. And so I didn't feel alone. Or as alone. Um, yeah. But what this time, especially during this time in COVID, uh, yeah. in quarantine, you have a lot of time to be with yourself, to reflect, mm-hmm. uh, especially when the conversation of Black Lives Matter came up again, because it's not new, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's not new at all. But I feel like now there was people were listening. Mm-hmm. I was listening a bit more. I was learning more about myself uh discovering oh yeah i have felt that before or oh yeah that is not okay even though i have made it to be somehow acceptable because that's, yeah. that's also part of it my friend i had a uh, conversation with my friend uh brianna omara who used to be with um pina as well okay. i told her it was like she asked me did i come come across any type of uh racism or any strong events in my life. And I was yeah. like, yes, uh, some, but, um, they weren't, they weren't that big, you know, they weren't mm-hmm. like, and in my brain, I wasn't, I wasn't held up at gunpoint. I didn't, there was no physical confrontation. There was no like, yeah. and that's what I define as big. But then she says like, well, any conflict, any racism is not okay. And I was like, you're right. It's not. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, Ugh. So it's just kind of like coming to terms with that uh, for me. And like I said, there's people, uh, black people have it worse than me. Um, Mm. I don't deny that. And black lives do matter. And it's really just the beginning of the conversation. And it's just the beginning of changing something about it. 
there is a momentum. I feel like it hasn't stopped even today. I really felt yeah. at the beginning. I was like, wow, things are actually changing. People are actually listening. Yeah. Of course, in this time of like Instagram and whatever gener- you know, whatever era we are in, things are about trends and things are about like what is hot, what's a hot topic. Right. And um, I don't believe that because it's not in your Instagram story, people yeah. are not talking about it anymore. Yeah. Because that is, for me, this is the first step of, of at least they call it advertising it. Like we see it there, sure. we see it in the news. The real work is how we relate to each other, how we relate with our community, how do we relate with someone who has a different idea about it. Yeah. That's where the real change happens. And that's where art comes into play. Yeah. It's important that artists are creating that art is reflecting the what is happening in the world today. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that the art that was created before is irrelevant because we can learn from our history um, mm-hmm. and they are still relevant. But in terms of what we as artists are today and our duty to the world, we need mm-hmm. to r- relate to the world. Yeah. I like how you put that. I, um, uh, I had a really uh, deep realization at some point in my life where I, uh, you know, watching uh, Untitled Landscape or Matzek work or truly great art mm-hmm. that is representative of the human condition, representative of things that we all go through. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that's the presence of, you know, that's holiness. That's the... Yeah presence of something that we can't quantify but we all believe in yeah you know when you speak about the human condition i totally agree i think you know there's all of these things going on right now that uh you know but i had no idea that it was really as bad as it was you know because i'm coming from a place of white privilege right you know when i was much younger i used to say like oh well it's and this tells you how naive i was i mean just the idea of oh well i don't see color mm-hmm. like you know, Jonathan is Jonathan and I don't need to treat him like he's biracial or black or gay for that matter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought that was the right way to think about it. But the reality is that strips away part of your identity. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, my best friend Jack is gay and, you know, he, I always thought of him as my best friend Jack, but like being gay was part of his identity. And that's, just that right? right you can't have jonathan frederickson without also having him be biracial and right. gay same is you can't have jonathan frederickson you know having not become a dancer and a choreographer right you know it's part of who you are right um and that would that has been the big lesson for me is like oh okay it's not like well i don't see color it's like no i see you and that's part of you and that's part of what makes you interesting or different or great you know and that's part of your experience right right it's really kind of like an evolution because Mm -hmm. and even maybe let's call it a generational thing because i think yeah it was at one point um the enlightened thing to say is that we don't see color that i don't see you as as color but yeah this is my opinion i don't know if Mm -hmm. relevant or not but i think what happened is that it became something that you could just simply wash over while still being racist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> while, still, while still living in a racist world. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 
that that's great, but we first need to we first need to talk about the problem. We first need to identify that we are different. Yeah. And then once we get there, then we could talk about how we are similar, you know? And then yeah. then we can talk about we all need love and we need to breathe and food and all, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the the conversation is is interesting. I'm happy that there is a conversation being had. Yeah. Well, I think the more people talk about it and put it in their frontal lobe, if that's where <laughs> if that's where you put it. Um, then, I think it's everywhere in there. <laughs> yeah, then, then it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being willing to talk about it. Yeah. I'm trying to become more practiced in uh, in having conversations that might make me feel not even uncomfortable, but just conversations that I'm not used to. Sure. You know? And I think it's it's good that everyone starts to do that because... Yeah. There has been landmines that people accidentally step on and then they are scrutinized for it. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we can't be afraid of those landmines because we don't learn until we make a mistake. You know, <laughs> like yeah. if we, we don't learn that that was something we shouldn't say until we actually say it. Yeah. It's, a, it's, not, it's not an easy process. It's not a comfortable process. No, it's not. Uh, let's change gears a little bit uh i want to talk a little bit more about covid19 and how it's affected your day-to-day life uh tons theater Vupital is one of the major major companies in the world and so i wonder how you and the company are preparing for it and i wonder if that is going to be used as an example with other companies right. in other countries i can't say how influential will be because mm. we haven't started yet, so I can't say if we're like, oh, we're, we're <laughs> handling this great, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a really good job of managing COVID, yeah. and we're making things happen. Because we yeah. haven't made anything really happen yet. Of course, there's the desire to. Where there's a will, there's a way, as they say. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, it's a very complex situation to be in as a dancer as a person as a dancer who's 36 and who's been doing being in uh, major professional companies for 15 years now yeah all of a sudden stop when you were maybe thinking that you're going to finish some point soon right yeah it actually took me a long time for my head to stop spinning um mm. for me to just sit and be with my thoughts again. Yeah. Have some space to reflect on where I am in my life. Um, as dancers, we, our boundaries are tested. Um, yeah. And what's the word there? I want to say the word infiltrated. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they're crossed. They're, they're crossed. Exactly. Our uh, dancers, our boundaries are crossed often. Yeah. Going from physics, the physically you can have mm-hmm. a teacher touch you when you don't want to be touched um mm-hmm. you to going to creatively you could be paired with someone that you don't want to touch you know as a partner yeah. um emotionally there's mind games that that happen with us Oof, dancers yeah. of like you're told you're not good enough not good enough you need to do more you need to do more to in order to be better to get this mindset right. perfection um yeah so we are very vulnerable creatures mm-hmm. um, and we receive a lot 
of um, criticism. Yeah. And I want to not take it anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to establish good boundaries. Yeah. The trip is that you want, you invest a lot of yourself into your work. Yeah. Um, I invest a lot of myself into my art. I dig deep. I try to find authenticity. I spend mm-hmm. a lot of time researching and digging. And yeah. that is important. And at the same time, gets to a place where you need to find some type of separation between you and your life and you as an individual with your art. Yeah, I that really resonates with me. Uh, I found myself at a certain part of my career saying, okay, actually, I shouldn't have to work 14 hours a day in order to get this done. Right. right. And so I so that so what you're saying really resonates with me because I found it true in my own life. You know, even just like I am not going to check my email after 7 p.m. Right. Even something as simple as that. Right. Can help just like your mental health and help create a separation between this thing that could really drain you and, totally. you know, time when you're should just be a person. Yeah. <laughs> and most of the time it's self-inflicted that. Yeah. No one is necessarily asking you to to put that many hours in. Yeah, it's yeah. your ego or your doubt that makes you think that you need to do it over and over or think about even just not even rehearsing, just like think about it, the mental occupation. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, I well, I want and I want to ask you about that because you mentioned earlier that you uh, that you meditate. Mm-hmm. Do you find that it really helps your uh, helps what we're talking about, you know, the balance, work life balance and also just like being able to let go, you know, I guess compartmentalize better your career versus your personal life? I believe so. Um, I, I think through meditation, you, what you find is a awareness you found, you find when something come, comes to you at that moment, how you feel at that moment and why you feel it. And with yeah. that information, I think then you can know what to do. What is step B? And oftentimes we don't feel step A at all. And then we, yeah. then a week later, we're crying on our couch and not knowing why we're crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So th- that makes sense. So I think it's just something to just like, uh, for me at least, the, of course, there's, there's a gigantic list of benefits towards meditation. Yeah. Um, but that's the, probably the most um, simple one to express right now. That's great. I like that. Um, we're getting close to the end here. Uh, I'd love to talk about what you're working on now and then, uh, what you're working on, uh, or what you're working on next. And then also where people can find you, uh, on the web, on the social medias as it were. So you said you're about to go back to rehearse. Yep. I go back, uh, with Tanzira, uh, Vupatal and we... We're supposed to have our first performance uh, in September. Wow. And we don't know if first will, live performance. Yeah, first live performance um, in the theater mm-hmm. with restrictions. And I don't know what those restrictions are. We will play it day by day. It's possible sure. that it, it can cancel, but it's possible that it won't. Mm-hmm. 
we return um, to the stage in September with uh, the piece, an older piece by Pina Bausch. Uh-huh. It's called Er nimmt sie an der Hand und führt sie in das Schloss, die anderen folgen. So <laughs> it translates That's impressive. <laughs> it translates to he took her by the hand, she followed him to the castle, the others followed. <laughs> That's a great title. It's a it's a quote from the play Macbeth, knock on Oh play, yeah. On spit spit at something. Anyway, and it's a based off of the Scottish play and um, right. it's one of my favorite pieces to perform. It has very little dance. We'll see how that goes. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm also dreading it in a lot of ways because <laughs> I don't know yeah. how my body will be. I don't know how uh, my passion will be because it's just been, it's, I have to say it's kind of natural. You, you put something yeah. that you worked on so hard and constant uh, and you put that to the side, the, it's a bit daunting to pick it back up again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first thing. And then um, other projects I have, thanks to COVID-19, is that people are contacting me um, to um, do workshops, to create. um, And they're contacting me because normally it's something that they would invite me to come and do in person. But I am all the way in Germany. And they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, there's this kind of new way to connect people new way yeah. and we'll do it on zoom and we'll have a creation over zoom and mm-hmm. so i will um create a new piece for hubbard street in chicago it was great it was actually supposed to be uh done in the old-fashioned way live and on, you know, on stage yeah but now we're looking into a new way um so we'll do it let's say um, through cyberspace digitally sure, and sure. create something through that. Um, I'll, I will also work with uh, the Lamone Institute um, with the professional Great. studies program. And I will teach some master classes here and there. It also feels great to create again, um, mm-hmm. to get the opportunity to think about something else than just recreating um, yeah. uh, Pina's work. I, I wonder um, if one of the byproducts of this is that uh, there will be a renewed interest in dance for film and right. dance for the uh, medium of video and television rather than live performance. Right. I'm really interested in what will happen. For me as a creator, I will I feel a bit of like a fish out of water. Yeah. Okay. I've made dance films before in college and I do have a slight interest in that, but it's not my, it's not the reason why I create dance or it's not the reason why I am in love with theater or want to create theater. Mm -hmm. So it will be interesting to see where the dance community, dance industry goes with this. Yeah. Um, if it's, if it's going to change the face of dance and whether I will feel at home with it, if that is the right thing for me to do. Yeah, yeah. I think it can only be good because it, it's really stopping the hamster wheel from going. It's really broadens our expectation of what is dance, what is art, what is theater. Yeah. We can see other possibilities. Yeah. Um, we're forced to see other possibilities. Yeah. We're forced to be creative and adapt. I think only positive things can happen. Even if we go back to 
the theater. Sure, to a more traditional model. Yeah, I think it it will influence us in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Hopefully for the better. I hope so too, yeah. Well, great. This has been this has been a really wonderful interview for me. I've so enjoyed having you on. Yeah, had a great time. Thanks. <laughs> of course. Uh, in the show notes, I will uh, link uh, the uh, Pina Bausch Tanz Theater Vupertal company website. I'll also uh, you have probably an Instagram yes account. I'll put that up as well. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Uh, and I wish you all the best uh, as you go back to rehearse with uh, with Pina Bausch's company. Thank you. And uh, hope to see you on the other side of this. Yeah. I wish all the best for you as well. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you. This has been another episode of Talk About the Industry. I'm your host, Matt Miller. Thanks for listening. If you liked this podcast, please, please, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them with me directly at talkabouttheindustrypodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to find out more about Jonathan and his work, please visit the Tanz Theater Wuppertal website at www.pina-bausch.de. You can also find him on Instagram, where his handle is at jfrederickearl. That's at J-F-R-E-D-R-I-C-K-E-A-R-L. You'll find both of these websites linked in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you on the next episode of Talk About the Industry.